0: Welcome to the Skill Stadium, a podcast for the skilled trades, where you can learn about the opportunities and benefits of working in the skilled trades from business owners, hiring managers, and the hardworking, talented professionals. And now, your host, Keith Williams. Thank you for tuning in to the Skill Stadium podcast, episode 90. I am your host, Keith Williams. I really enjoy doing this work because every guest I have has a story to tell, and every story they tell is as unique as a fingerprint. So every week, we feature professionals in the skill trades, that's business owners, educators, people giving real-world advice. You know we don't run any ads on the podcast, we're not trying to sell you anything, but if you found value, please share it and leave a five-star review. All right, so my guest today, this is going to be a great episode. My guest grew up in Chicago and has lived in six different states. My guest is a 15-year veteran of the construction industry, and she's the president of LMS General Contractors. She's most proud of finishing law school while she was working, and during her free time, she enjoys traveling overseas. Please welcome Jennifer Todd to the Skill Stadium Podcast. Jennifer, how are you this afternoon?
1: I'm great, Keith. Thank you for having me.
0: My pleasure, Jennifer. Something I wanted to say: you have a strong online presence, Uh, and I'm not sure if this is something that you were intentional about, but you know, I was looking. One of the things I noticed was that you know you're the first woman featured on Construction Business Owner Magazine, and I like the fact that you highlight you know your background, your story. Was this something that you were pretty conscious about doing, or is this something that naturally evolved?
1: I think it. started off as a natural evolution of sorts and i was actually the first black business owner and on their magazine they've had other women but none of them were business owners and i was actually the uh the first but yeah it it started really off as an evolution and then it kind of caught fire and so now i am pretty intentional about the things that i share online and post and things that i discuss
0: Yeah. Because I think that is so critical because I believe it opens opportunities because I we're having this podcast interview right now because I found you online. And like I said, I, I just think there are a lot of people who don't take full advantage of the power of platforms like LinkedIn. I grew up at a time where LinkedIn didn't exist. And, I, you know, I'm pretty sure you grew up at a time before the, you know, we're raging ourselves, but, you know, you didn't grow up with this. <laughs> so I feel you. you have an appreciation for it.
1: Yeah. And actually, I'm I'm even, it's funny you say that because I'm really new to LinkedIn. And I mean, it's in the past couple of years when I started becoming more actively going to conferences, everyone kind of like shamed me like, what's your LinkedIn? And I'm like, I have it but I don't use it now. <gasps> what, you're not using your LinkedIn? <laughs> and so I was just like, I'm going home to get on my LinkedIn right now. And I think even the last day of the conference, I literally uh, started posting a profile picture and you know making those connections before I left. I was at a conference in San Francisco, actually. So let me get this together because obviously these people know something that I clearly am not aware of. So yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah, I think it's the uh, standard right now. As you look at any professional that you're interacting with, they're gonna go check that out. It's probably the first thing that people will check out before even maybe doing business or considering hiring you. That's why I feel like people who have built up that online presence, they know what they're doing. You know, it's, it's a smart decision.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really the resume before the resume.
0: You got it. That's the best analogy. You nailed it right there. <laughs> so, you know, you're a business owner and i don't think the average person realizes all the responsibilities and duties of a business owner can you walk us through i mean if there is actually a typical day but walk us through what it's like to do to be in your position
1: yeah, so basically you just wake up and you go to a job site, take a couple of pictures and leave. And that's people, what people think that that encompasses. But no, it is uh, very strenuous and very tedious being a business owner because uh, one, you're responsible for so many aspects as in the people and as well as the projects. My typical day, it really ranges by what's going on. We're actively working that consists of 6am wake up, going through emails, Going to the job site, conferring with the team about what the tasks are for today in the field, making sure, speak with the office to ensure that they are supported and they have everything they need, equipment, material-wise. Then you are looking at upcoming jobs and you're connecting with people and uh, progress meetings and reviewing payments. And it just, uh, they're a bevy of things that, that go on during the, during the course of my day. So it's a lot. So
0: definitely no i understand i understand you know and what a lot of people don't realize too i think is also the biggest skill set is dealing with people personalities <laughs> um, if I, I know that to
1: deal with excavators every day and bobcats i mean my life would be a breeze but no there are people that have to operate the machine. so yeah it's definitely as i always say construction is a people driven business and so uh, you really rely on your team a lot in this business. It's definitely a team sport.
0: Definitely, did you play any sports growing up? Did that help you?
1: No, I um, I did some track and cross country, but all my life I have said that I wasn't a team sport person, and then I entered a career that is essentially revolves around being in a team setting, so go figure.
0: Yep, well hey, people evolve and they and they acquire skills as they go, right? <laughs> yes, so think back to when you were just starting your business. As a Black woman in a male-dominated industry, what were some of the biggest challenges you faced?
1: Oh, my goodness. I mean, the challenges are still, they just become grander. (laughs) The the bigger that you get and the more work that you do. As a double-minority Black woman in this industry, there were many challenges, one being funding and financing as many people know or may not be aware of that, Black businesses in general are overly mentored and underfunded. So finding the appropriate financing to do the project, scale the business, and grow the business, that always remains a challenge. The second thing is that historically, Black contractors are not generational. They're not family-owned businesses. So a lot of business owners are first generation. So who do you have to glean that information from if you're just starting out, you don't have a lot of mentorship or uh, people that you can really ascertain that information from, and as far as just being a woman, being a woman and being a black woman, you're going to be challenged repeatedly. So from the female perspective. Questioning your competency, and so that's always a big thing for women in this industry is having the confidence and the competence to know what they're doing. Because women, we we thrive on feeling we feel more confident when we're competent about what we're speaking about and what we're doing. So just reassuring yourself that you know what you're doing, you're just as good as the next guy, and you're able to get the job done.
0: Definitely. I wonder. I want to take on the first one, which is you know, over mentored and under financed. Is there, are there programs that are coming up? Like, how do we solve that? How do we fix it? Like, we know that's, I know that's a problem. Is it a question of maybe networks? Is it a question of doing research and finding programs that are, that cater to to minorities? How do we fix that? Because that is major, because construction is a capital intensive business. Mm
1: -hmm. It is. And it's expensive to start and maintain a business every year. It becomes more so with the litigious aspects. But to answer your question, you've said the P word, which is programs. And I am not the strongest proponent of programs because they're, they kind of lead to nowhere. It's great that you have programs for minority contractors that are geared to minority contractors. And it's great that These companies are willing to share the information and the fundamentals about doing the business. But if you're a business that's five plus years old, you kind of know how to do your job. You know how to operate your business. Your problem is that you need need financing and you need opportunities. And so that's what you're struggling with. Me having gone to law school, me being an engineer, and having done this for 15 years, the program isn't really going to benefit me. Uh, what I need is an opportunity. So I think it's important that these companies stop just thinking that everyone is a startup. Every minority business is not lacking the knowledge; they are lacking resources, mm-hmm. and that's what takes the business to the next level.
0: Yeah, so it's about making sure that the help is going in the right direction, like. And I really feel that it's going to be the relationships that are going to make the difference. Oh, yeah,
1: absolutely. Relationships. Yeah, because
0: like you had mentioned before, you said that they're generational for non-minority businesses are going up against companies that have generational wealth.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm and then they have established networks and they have established resources they in turn if you're you know a third generation family business you work with other companies that have been in businesses for you know for 30 plus years and you work with other banking companies and financiers that have have done business for with your grandfather and or your dad so you're just passing on the resource to the next generation oftentimes we see that black contractors uh, they don't have that allyship when it comes to the funding aspect or, or the opportunity. So how can you scale your business to a $10 million, $100 million company if you don't have the the opportunities and the financing to get there?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I do believe that, you know, in your industry, I think resources are a key ingredient to success for any minority or Black-owned organization. Talk to me about how do you compete? So how do you now go and attract talent? So let's say we address the finance piece how do you now go and attract the best talent? Because that really is going to make, you know, who you hire obviously is going to make a big difference in the success of your business. And so how do you go out and attract some of that that best talent that's out there so you can compete now?
1: You know, of all the issues that I have as a business owner, attracting talent has never been a problem. The problem with us is, being able to substantiate all the people that reach out to us. I know that I shared something recently on LinkedIn about, you know, do we have a labor shortage or is it an outreach shortage? Because on average, LMS gets phone calls, five five phone calls a week from people seeking opportunities. I personally get messages via social media, Instagram and LinkedIn from people all over the world, at least seven to eight messages a week from people looking for opportunities both uh, male and female. And the difference is, is that they are either women or they are people of color. So when people say that they're having a hard time finding labor, it's my question is, what outreach efforts are you doing? And where are you looking for people? Because they find me, I don't even know how they find me. I don't know how they get our office number. I'm not really sure, but they find us all the time and they send their resumes over, they send their information, their paperwork, their asbestos certifications over. So finding talent is is not difficult. And our team, we've worked with the same people, you know, 10 plus years, some of the guys we work with and that operate equipment for us, both male and female, they've 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, they've been doing this. So we've got some top tier talent.
0: Definitely. I think what it is, is people have been used to doing things a certain way. And they've always been loose. They have a profile of, here's who we typically hire. Here's where we typically go to hire these people. So they've, that well has run dry for them. So their perception is there's nothing out there. That's that's the feeling I get, as opposed to going, hey, let's look in this community over here, this group of folks, women, minorities. This is a whole other market that we're not looking at because we've been just doing it this way.
1: Yeah. And also, too... If you think about it, the roles have kind of reversed, whereas we are the employers, we were interviewing people. Employees are now interviewing us. Uh, they're doing mm-hmm. the dive and they're doing the research on the company to see if it's a good foot for them personally and professionally. So if they're going to a website that shows absolutely zero representation or there are no uh, people of color or women in the C-suite positions, then they're going to be saying, hey, this is probably not the place for me. This isn't a place that I can grow in they are looking at the company's social issues and where they stand politically and you know like i said it it, it's much more than just uh me working at this company and what's the salary there's a lot more involved in the hiring practices today than we've seen in
0: the past i agree because even as a business owner when i'm reaching out to people i go and i check out their social media there's so much information now that you can learn about people you sort of know who you're dealing with just You can go through somebody's Facebook and get a pretty good idea of who you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. I look at who they're affiliated with and, you know, I hate to judge people, but yeah, you do. You do start if they're making ridiculous comments or statements. Oh, yeah, I,
1: I do uh, <laughs> regularly. I'll, I'll follow someone in, and then they'll say something just just very, very radical or crazy. And I'm like, OK, I'm just going to unfollow this person. All right. This is not a person that I choose to engage with. And uh, it, it makes it much easier to know who you're dealing with because I'd I like to see it coming Board, and whether they're stabbing me in the back, I'd like to see it in my face. So, to, you know, show, me, show me ahead of time so I can know, and like, oh, okay, all right, let me move on, so.
0: I promise you, people will let you know who they are. If you oh, look,
1: yeah, yeah. pay
0: attention, they will.
1: <laughs> if they were solid before, these past couple of years, there's been a lot, of, uh, a lot of exposure going on on both ends. So, yeah.
0: Definitely. So, after establishing yourself as a business, You decide to get a law degree, which Mm -hmm. much respect to you for that, because that is not easy because you did that while you were working. Why did you do that and how has that helped you?
1: Yeah, shortly after I made the kind of, and I can't say made the decision, I'll say I was forced into the decision of starting LMS because I went through six to seven top general contractors and was repeatedly rejected. uh, being saying, Hey, we don't have anyone that looks like you. We don't think you're ready that you need a little more time before you can apply for a position like this. Well, hell with it. I'll go ahead and start LMS myself. But in doing that, I realized that you are still a black contractor and you are a female contractor and having worked for a black contractor before I saw the upheavals that they had to deal with and all that went into it. And people don't realize how litigious construction is and can be. So for me I knew that I had to protect myself and uh if I just don't have the, the funds to have a top tier attorney on retainer, then I better go retain myself. And so that's why I made the decision to uh to, to law school when I started LMS.
0: Yeah. Smart. That that oh my gosh, any business. I mean I, I struggle with that too. Like you always have to have legal representation. But that is very smart. I never even thought about that that perception
1: because i've worked you know the thing about it is over the 15 years i've worked in the field and in the office so i've seen what Disruption does when something goes awry. If you have a change order at stake or, you know, there's some sort of job delay, you're losing money in the field. You've got people standing around, and of course, the guys don't care because, hey, they're getting paid anyway, but also you're being held up. So, and if you have an outside, if you're a smaller firm, more than likely you have an outside attorney. And so you have to call the attorney, wait for them, you know, the turnaround time, explain the situation. So now you're two, three, even four days in sometimes. And it's just not it's not feasible to do when it's something that, that you can do yourself. Not everyone can, but if you can do it, then yeah, I just, uh, I saw what, what, what happened and I said, Oh, I want no part of
0: that. So no, that's smart. That's smart because I'll I'll tell you that that makes a big difference and it gives you just a level of confidence as you are working in your business just knowing that you understand the legal ramifications because i'll tell you that's that that scares a lot of business owners i know for me personally that's one thing that's top on my list of things that i fear is is legal challenges
1: yeah yeah but it's one of the things that you should always with any business not even just exclusively construction you should be hoping for the best but of course planning for the worst and so i encourage everyone to just hey go down the what-if scenarios of all the terrible things that could happen. And if they don't, great. But if they do, you won't fear it coming. And the other thing is, too, just going to law school really changed my mindset as far as just taking the emotion out of it. Your business, that's your baby. You, You Put your blood, sweat, and tears into what you do every day and you love it. But you also have to take a step back and say, am I making logical decisions or is this ego (laughs) feeding feeding this decision behind what I'm doing? Like, oh, he says I have to do it today. Oh, no, I'm going to do it tomorrow. Like, you know, is that is that me? or is that you know Or is that my ego speaking so uh it really it, being a lawyer going to law school really trains your brain to to think more from the logical than the emotional standpoint of things and that's that's really helped me along the way
0: it could save you a lot of time and money if, mm-hmm. if you're if you're using logic and not emotion <laughs> yeah. so i've had some great conversations with people offline about equality discrimination racism Why do you think people are hesitant, you know, because we're talking about this. Why do you think people are hesitant to talk about that subject in a public forum like we're doing now?
1: Oh, well, oh, you want me to talk about it?
0: (laughs) No. Uh, I I put you on the spot. I I think that uh,
1: people don't want to talk about it because they don't want to appear racist or they don't want to appear as this. Admitting that there is a problem because if you admit that there is a problem with racism or there is a discriminatory acts that take place then you just might be part of the problem and so no one wants to no one wants to wave that flag and say yeah it's it exists but it is very alive and well in all industries and construction is no exception. A couple of years ago I Penned a a viewpoint with an engineering news record and it was the highest read article, um, viewpoint of that year, and it talked about my experiences being a Black woman in construction and what I go through. I mean, for my white counterparts, your concern is, is the guy a butthole or, you know, are you going to be able to do the job? When you are a Black contractor, and probably for other contractors, of uh, in some cases, of people of color, there are a whole nother subset of issues that you encounter on the job site. There is overt racism. There is, you know, microaggressions. There are implicit bias. I've worked on projects where people admitted that they had never ever worked with a Black contractor before and they weren't sure if we were going to be able to get the job done, if we were going to be able to afford to pay our workers. Not that they were volunteering to help, but these were the things that they felt comfortable saying. Uh, We've had instances of uh, being called the N-word, we have had uh, KKK sprayed on our heavy equipment before, fuel lines cut. And so I am a millennial. So these are not things that have happened you know, 50 years ago. These are things that have happened in the course of the last 15 years. And so when you talk about racism and equality, yes, no one likes to say the R word, but people are very comfortable talking about diversity and inclusion, and that's just, to me, has just become buzzwords. I see a lot of it being said, but I don't see a lot of it being implemented today.
0: Well, I think people say that just because they want to feel like they're doing something, even though they're not really doing anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like a check the box,
1: Yeah. yeah. you
0: know, as opposed to dealing with what's really going on on the ground. I think that we've had a number of incidents, such as the gentleman in Minnesota, I'm forgetting his name. George Floyd? George Floyd, yeah. That really opened some eyes. So I think that was, it's sad, but it takes something so egregious that, is right there on film for people to say, oh wow, because, we might have a uh, problem.
1: At any other time, what we've seen in the past when it comes to things like that, as black people, uh, we know that these things happen every single day. If you have a father, yes. like you have a brother, if you have a husband who is a black man, he has experienced this or someone he knows has experienced, you know, instances such as this. But this was a case where we saw it publicly. And on tape, and you couldn't explain it away. It wasn't that he was a gangbanger, a criminal, or he's you know hijacked somebody or stole something. There was nothing you could say that at this very moment he was committing a crime. And it the video was so long, you know that seven minutes is a long time. It doesn't seem like a long time, but it is. And so I think it just was powerful in the sense that it could not be explained away, and it was it didn't make any sense that it didn't need to take place. So.
0: I do feel that the best one of the best ways to solve it is just exposure. So folks like yourself going in and working with folks that you said, hey, we've never worked with a black contractor. So it also puts a lot of pressure on you, whether it's fair or not, that you have to perform on such a level. So as just, so you give an opportunity for the next person coming along.
1: It does. It's a lot of pressure. pressure. Because uh, when I talk to different general contractors about partnering together and doing work together, they're so quick to tell me how this person can't fill out a pay application or this person doesn't necessarily show up on time or they take on too much work and they're not able to always complete it on time. And it's just like, no, you keep giving them chances after chance after chance. But if a black contractor, you know, makes one mishap, then it it's, it's over for everyone. No one, there are no do overs. And especially if you're a woman, because they're expecting you to fail. So you don't get a chance to, uh, we don't always get the chance to make mistakes it's like oh she's a woman of course what did you expect this, this was gonna happen oh they're a minority contractor they don't have it together so well, yeah
0: let me ask you another question on this in terms of how this could be solved do you think that part of this is the older generation I get the feeling that the younger generation is a little bit more open mm-hmm. again I'm not on a construction site so you know That's kind of my perception in my head just because of when some people grew up. But do you think the younger generation, we have hope for the younger generation perhaps? Uh,
1: um, Yes and no, because at the end of the day, when you're talking specifically about racism, it's a learned behavior. We We aren't taught to hate someone because of the color of their skin or how they look or how they sound or what country they're from. That's something that you are inherently taught within your house. It's, you know, and so if that is promoted, even if you're 20 you still have that same mindset a lot of the times because that's that's what you know so yes we see it a lot with the older generation but they are definitely people my age that share the same sentiments as their as their grandfather and father and uh, and it's sad because at this point you have so much more exposure to different cultures and different races than we had before you know it's
0: yeah
1: before it was just what.
0: It's very hard not to run into somebody who looks different from you Mm -hmm. in a general working environment. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, unless you're from a small town. But if you live in a city, it's just that behavior is just really inexcusable and it makes no sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I also think the leadership. It takes leadership saying, "Hey, we're not going to tolerate this," because the leadership drives everything. Because if the owner says, "Hey, I'll fire you if you if you you're going to be racist, you're going to not you know not total line. This is our culture. Mm-hmm. You lose your job." That I think people pay attention to that. When you mess with people's money, their jobs go away. They stay, they they. That'll change behavior, that'll influence at least.
1: It does, but the the problem comes in when you're dealing with large, in our, in our case, when you're dealing with large contractors that are multi-layered, where there are five layers to get to the president, he has no idea what's going on. He's on a private plane, he doesn't know what's going on on the job site, he's getting the reports on his iPhone.
0: But then it's who he's hiring, but it's who you're hiring. But that, I, I still feel like at the top, I hear what you're saying, but if they're hiring good people, below them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that reflect their values and they have
1: to care you know because a lot of times if it yeah. doesn't affect for some owners if it if it's not affecting their bottom line a social issue is not going to change the way they do business i don't care so what he's racist he gets the job done so
0: we're, we're i also doing. do believe that putting people on blast is also another good tactic too because people are becoming more socially conscious. I mean, if you, come on, we've seen people go on a racist tirade, and next thing you know, people are pulling up where they work, and that person is out of a job. I've seen, I mean, we've all seen it, right?
1: I, I love to do it. So I, I really do. I think that if you're going to be bold enough and emboldened to attack somebody verbally or physically, and, and they are going about their day minding their business, then you should be able to accept the ramifications. You know, as they say, keep that same energy that you had when you were attacking somebody. <laughs> well, I, I have no, there are not enough tears for me to say, yeah, okay, it's just... Because it's just, it, like I said, it doesn't. We're in an age now. At this point, for me, if I were that person, if, as soon as I saw someone pull out their phone, I would stop because I would think about my livelihood and me uh, spouting racist antics to you is not worth me losing my job and my house and you know, uh, you know, being embarrassed in my in my city. It's just not. But for some people, it is because I see that they they don't care. And so I double uh,
0: down. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> double down. I'm like we're e- t- not gonna end well. Um, I know, <laughs> But sometimes, you know, humility is needed in cases. And I think people have gotten in their mind, they've become so conditioned to think that they can continue a behavior because they associate no ramifications with it, because that's the way that it's always been. And that's what you see going on in construction now is, hey, we have a labor shortage because that's the way it's always been. You know, you're hiring practices. That's the way it's always been, you know. You're seeing, I saw an article about some nooses that were placed all around a job site. That's the way, it's, that's, that's the way it is. And it's like, it makes no sense. It, it really is uh, it, it's unjustified behavior. And uh, this, more business leaders do need to be more active about saying something and showing that that type of behavior should not be tolerated for, any, for anyone. It doesn't matter what their race or ethnicity it just shouldn't be tolerated at any point of time, because people are there to work.
0: agree. agree 100%. Hey, three things you think black women in construction who are just getting started could do to fit into the skill trades?
1: Three things. I would say the first thing is to be open about the opportunity. Don't be stuck on the fact that you are a woman and so you can't do something that you surely have an interest in doing. And at the same time, don't say no to an opportunity because it isn't what you want to do. I started off as a receptionist, and so I had no idea that it would propel me to where I am today, but I remained open to the opportunity, and it was great tap started at the bottom because it allowed me to do all the jobs and so now I understand how a business is supposed to operate how long it takes and I wouldn't have had that if I would have started off as a project manager I wouldn't have I wouldn't have had that if I started off as an assistant engineer you know. I wouldn't have known that. The second thing I would say is that to um, seek out your resources, connect with people, your your net worth really is based on your network. And so you may not know a person individually, but someone may pick you to do something or they may be able to connect you to uh, where you're at and the third thing i would say is uh don't be concerned about being an angry black woman sometimes you will need to do that and that's just par for the course but stand in the truth and be authentic to who you are
0: great no good 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 feedback i appreciate that you know one of the things we discussed was professional associations and groups Mm -hmm. and i know you've been involved in industry groups please share the pros and cons and who benefits the most from being in these groups? Is it people who are just getting started or more people who are established?
1: Yeah, right now I am part of NAPWIC, which is National Association of Black Women in Construction, and so they have different chapters across the country. And I'm also uh, on um, ASCE's uh, Industry Leadership Council, and so uh, both are two great organizations. The pros are being able to connect with like-minded individuals. With NAPWIC, we have an association of Black women who are in construction, all across the country, they work in the field, they work in the office. Some people have been in the business 30 plus years. It was actually started by Ann McNeil. She's in Florida and she too owns a construction company. And you have, we have young women in there as that are still in college, but they don't. They want to be able to connect with other people in the industry so that they can have that support before they enter their career. With ASCE, it's a huge organization, you know, chapters all over the world and really just having their goal is to really grow the engineering industry across the entire country and and world in some cases, but being on the cusp of innovation and how can we get more people in the industry? How can we uh, get more engineers in this civil engineering sector? So it's great to have minds that are both from the construction world but also they have a lot of but uh, there are a lot of PhDs over there so they have a lot of educated uh, professors so it's great to pool the diversity of people to kind of solve the world's problems and, and get things done. The cons I would say when it comes to um, groups is that you really have to hope that one it depends on the area that you're in some chapters are stronger than others if you're in a, if you're in a chapter the group the association may be great but maybe that particular chapter is just not as active or they don't have the resources that you would like to see so that could be a con another thing is that it really requires work and commitment. If you're going to join an organization, the purpose is to really grow your network and uh, be a part of building your community, and so that takes time. If you are a parent, or you know your child's in activities, and you're working ten hours a day, yeah, it can really take away from that. So, being able to have the time to commit to get everything that you can from that organization that that could be a con, you know, if you don't have the time.
0: No, that makes sense. That makes sense. It's it's just how you utilize it. Mm-hmm. That makes that makes a lot of sense. I know you have a non profit. Can you please tell us about it?
1: Yeah, I do have a non profit. It's called a greener tomorrow. Some years back we started doing a lot of work with various housing projects and so what we saw was a lot of the section three residents that reside there they weren't working and so a lot of them would come up to the job site they hadn't seen a black contractor working before and so they had a lot of inquiries and in being a black contractor they're like hey how do i get a job how do i get a job how do i get a job so we started hiring from there and it's it's really spun into something magnificent and right now with a greener tomorrow i decided that i wanted the opportunity to help more people and so we are 501 c3 and our goal is really to uh, promote and advance the skilled trades to inner city uh youth uh, youth and young adults so we want to uh, be in the schools letting them know hey, this is how we can help you. These are the resources that are out there. You don't have to go to college. Uh, you don't have to go to the military. You can create a, uh, a living wage career within the skill trades. But also if you're over 18, hey, we can help you get started with an apprenticeship program so that you can start making money in six weeks to two months and you have a viable trade that you can take with you for life.
0: Now, that's powerful because especially since these Young people that are going through your nonprofit are seeing results fairly quickly, as you said, six months to a year. That's no time at all. And I would imagine the wages are definitely better than what they get in retail or anywhere else.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I remember the first time we had a a group of apprentices and we started a project in uh, Northern California, and when they saw the prevailing wage rate, they just could not believe it, that they were going to be making $65 an hour. Uh, we were sad. But they were Hold worried. on, say that
0: again. Please say that again. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, they, uh, they were making, you know, in California, everything is prevailing wage if you're doing public works of any sort. And so I uh, think at the time it was about $65 an hour. So you're talking about someone, and we're not talking about the, the thing about it. People think it's just a monetary thing. It isn't. Because more than that, these people, this was the first time people had ever flew on a plane. This was the first time people had ever left the city of Atlanta. This is the first time people ever went to the beach. And so it just wasn't about the fact that you were making a $65 an hour. You were actually having various milestones in your life that you can say, Hey, if it weren't for this job opportunity, I would have never been able to go to Santa Monica beach. I wouldn't been able to fly on a plane and, you know, be able to stay in a hotel. I mean, some people have never stayed in a hotel and the things that a lot of us take for granted when you are living in an inner city or in a low income area, you're restricted you are told that this is what your life is this is all that's out for you. you go go to college if you can or you go work at McDonald's and this is the best that it gets and, and it doesn't so I'm very proud of you, that we do and the opportunities that we're able to provide
0: I agree with you one of the things I try and encourage young people to do if they can and I think the skill trades really gives this opportunity is to travel to go work somewhere else and as long as you can work with your hands there's a city and you have a skill trade you can work virtually anywhere I know the welders they have jobs where they're saying they're paying people per diem and paying them to go out and work on a site and on a project and so if you're a young person, you don't have anything tying you down. why not? Go explore another city in this country. You'll learn a lot and you'll i can't you can't i can't you can't underestimate the power of being able to go travel to a different city. I lived in Philadelphia for a couple of years, and I remember when I'd run into people who were from certain, still us is a city of neighborhoods. And I was shocked when I saw a lot of young people who'd never left their neighborhood. I'm not talking, I'm not talking the city of Philadelphia, I'm talking their neighborhood, right where they live.
1: Yeah, being from and Chicago. I would
0: imagine that's any big city.
1: Yeah, uh, being from Chicago, a uh, group on the South side of Chicago, but there are people uh, who've never been downtown. And you have people who come all over the world to see the city of Chicago and see the Sears Tower. Oh, yeah. and the visit the water tower and go to a baseball game and they've like No, they've been downtown and it's, it's, same thing when I lived in Los Angeles. There were people who've never gone to the beach. I'm like, how can you not go to the beach? It's it's <laughs> <laughs> really like, easy.
0: Oh,
1: it's a mindset. Like,
0: oh. <laughs> it's a mindset.
1: It is a mindset. It's a mindset. so uh definitely a lot of uh what we do is, is focused on your mindset because that's Everything that you can achieve and not achieve, it, it all starts within your mind. Uh, I could have never uh, achieved the things that I have achieved and manifested the things in my life if I had not set those intentions. But in setting those intentions, someone else needed to plant the seed and say that you can do this. That this is something that you can viably do and you can make a life for it. I wouldn't have known that if someone didn't tell me that. And so that's why I think it's so important for me to continuously uh, give other people that opportunity and show them the access that they have when they open their mind to other possibilities.
0: Final question. Tell us how people can find you. Please share your contact information. We're definitely going to put it in the notes, Mm -hmm. but please let us know how people can find you. and. When your nonprofit is going to launch.
1: Yeah, we're definitely launching this. What is this? The beginning of March. We're we're taking this. By the time this comes out, it will be out. And uh, people can go to a org. And if you're looking for me personally, uh, I'm on Instagram, uh, constructionlawgal, G-A-L, as well as uh, LinkedIn, Jennifer Todd, MLS. And so you can find me there.
0: Excellent. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for being on the Skill Stadium podcast. I wish you much success with your business and much success with this um, nonprofit. I think you're doing great things and you're going to impact a lot of lives. Well,
1: I hope so. And thank you so much for having me. Keep doing good work with Skill Stadium.
0: Will do. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Skill Stadium. It would mean so much if you left a review on iTunes and told your family and friends about the podcast.